Man, I, I tell you what, it's been a little while. It's been a few years since I heard somebody shout in a Baptist church, but it should happen often. Thank you, Pastor Doug, and thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning as we have worshiped. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can't, if you can't come and experience the presence of the Lord, there's something wrong. And we should understand that we, we serve a risen Savior. Last week we talked about that we could trust God, didn't we? And we talked about the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God uh, there in Proverbs chapter 3. Today I want you, if you have your Bible, if you don't, we're going to put it, the words up on the screen. But Luke chapter 16, and uh, the ushers have given you some notes. This morning we're going to talk to you and, and try to communicate uh, another question. Last week we talked about can we trust God. This week we're going to talk about can God trust me. Oh, I knew there wouldn't be any amens about that. Can God trust me? You know, uh, I shared with you last week that, that I was planning on having some uh, medical procedures done tomorrow, still going to do that, and I was, I, was, I was scheduled for some surgery on Tuesday, but due to uh, some, uh, you know, I'm experiencing what health care is like in this country. They called me on Thursday and said, uh, listen, your pre-op is on Friday, and you'll need to bring a check with you for $7,000. That's what I did. And you won't believe what my wife did, but anyway. I said, how much? And they said, well, it's your total out-of-pocket for the whole year, so you got to bring that because the facility fee is $78,000. Now, this is outpatient surgery, folks. I could probably do it myself. For that and uh, so I said I, I called the surgeon he said yeah we can do it in an ambulatory outpatient facility and I think your copay is 400 but we can't do it on Tuesday but we can do it on the 31st I said we're gonna do that because I can spend sixty six hundred dollars see I can do math I am a pastor but I can do I can spend sixty six hundred dollars something else or my wife said we can save sixty six hundred dollars I'm so glad today that, that uh, the Lord has given me a few more weeks before that dreaded day, but I'll be fine, and God will take care of me. But today, pray for me. I'm drinking only liquids today, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I get to do the, the colonoscopy cocktail later today and all that stuff, and uh, bless you. Let's preach. So glad. I hope, you know what, I hope we're not live streaming this. That, that just came through. Boy, what a way to make an impression. But if you're with us, to, anyway, I'm glad today to have some dear, dear friends from Cobden, Illinois, Bobby and Glenda Myers and Chrissy Myers. Uh, Bobby served as our treasurer in our church and was a, is a deacon there, has been a deacon in that church for many, many years. These folks uh, walked with me, uh, beside me. Uh, I worked with Glenda in the office. She was our financial secretary. They walked with me in so many, uh, so many days, especially during the days of, of uh, when, when I lost my wife in 05. And these folks are near and dear. And they come and, and they, they visit us for the whole month of January. Not, not just us, okay? But they visit Florida and, and we welcome them today. 
I'm glad that you're here. If you're glad that you're here, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here, but I'm glad I'm here too. All right. Let's stand together and read it in, the, in, in respect and in honor of God's Word. Luke chapter 16. Verse 1. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what, what is this that I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, now that's important that you notice who he said this to, what shall I do since my ma master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each of, of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it, so that when it falls, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings when it fails. And he was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of what of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Can you and I trust God? Okay, we've got that down, I think. He is trustworthy. But can God trust you? Can he trust me? Let's pray together. Father, over the next few moments, I pray that you'll open our hearts and, and you'll illuminate the passage that we've read today to us and help us to not only hear it, but to make it applicable. I pray today that uh, when we leave this place, we will not have heard the words of Alan Spear, but we've, we will have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Yes, I, I can trust you. I pray today that you would so move us. Thank you already for what we've experienced and what we continue to experience in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jennifer and I have raised five children. Five. One daughter, four, four sons. And, it, you know, let's, let's think about it for just a moment. Parent 
and children. How many, how many of you are parents? By the way, if you don't know you're a parent, you're in trouble. But yeah, I saw some of you hesitate there for just a minute. Okay, you see, the, the biggest issue that, that we dealt with our children was that when they were teenagers, when they made that pivotal move, you know, even into from elementary school to middle school, but especially from middle school to high school, and then that, that, that pivotal year of when they get their license, and, and now you're putting them behind the wheel of a, a vehicle. And, and they're saying, can I stay out until a certain time on a Friday? Well, I want to know what you're doing and where you're going. You know, I want to know who you're going to be with. The, 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 the element of trust. Can I trust you? Can I trust you to, to go where you're saying you're going? Can I trust you to be back on time? Every time they do it right, then they get a little bit more trust. Some of the, the students are saying, will you really say that louder, Pastor? Because our parents don't understand that yet. Every time they do it wrong, though, you have to pull back a little, don't you? In the same way, in the same way with God, the question that God has for every one of us today is this, can I trust you? Luke 16 is, is one of those difficult parables to understand. It's one of the most difficult in the entire Bible. But Luke 16 is directly connected to Luke 15. And so that, that passage in Luke 15 is one of the most beloved and best known parables. It's the, it's the parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, the Lord deals with wrong attitudes about people. In Luke 16, our Lord deals with wrong attitudes about wealth. And it talks about our possessions, what we have, how we're going to deal with what he has given us. And so the story of the foolish steward when you think about chapter 15, wrong attitudes about people, and chapter 16, wrong attitudes about wealth, I have to tell you that the Bible and money, Jesus talked about money in 16 of his 38 parables. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels, Jesus is talking about possessions, money. The Bible devotes 500 verses to prayer. And would you agree with me that prayer is vital? It is crucial. It is very important. Amen? But listen, less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses to money and possessions. And so I would contend to you this morning that Jesus thought this topic was very, very important. Now, when you read the first 13 verses of Luke chapter 16, there are some things that pop out at you, and the first thing that pops out is the accountability of the foolish steward. You see, when the owner came back, the unwise manager of, of possessions was brought into accountability. Now, are you ready? Note that this parable was to his disciples. It wasn't to the scribes. It wasn't to the Pharisees. It was, it was to his own inner core. A rich man once had a manager to take care of his business, but he was, he was told that his manager was wasting money, so the rich man called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? Tell me what you have done. You are no longer going to work for me. Now, there are two reasons 
why this manager was accountable to the owner. Now, if, if you don't get this first one right, it won't matter how many things I say the rest of the morning, you will have missed the whole entire foundational premise of this message. Listen, two reasons why you and I are accountable to God. He is the owner. I'm the manager. I'm going to say it again. He is the owner, and I am the manager. Some of us have got this wild idea that somehow we have worked hard, and we probably have. We have accumulated, we have got, and this is because I am a hard worker. No, it's not. It's because God is good. Now, when I look at this, the first reason that I'm accountable to God is because what I have today are gifts of God. I own none of it. I'm accountable to the owner who is God. Every good, the Bible says this, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God. Amen? He is the owner. I'm the manager. He gives me everything. The gifts that I have, he gave them to me. Every possession that I have, it is the gift of the Lord. He is the owner. Now, this is the number one issue Ladies and gentlemen, until we settle that issue, until you settle this issue, you are always going to have a problem in the area of management and stewardship. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, he's the owner, you're just the manager. Now you see, sometimes, if I believe that Alan Spear is the owner then I'm going to be constantly in conflict with God over what I do with the stuff that I have. How many, how many of you like stuff? Be honest. I do. I like stuff. Yeah. If you say, oh, I don't, I don't like stuff, you, you, you need to join the local liars club is what you need to do. <laughs> I mean, we like stuff. We like to have nice stuff, but the moment I understand that God is the owner and I am the manager, then all of a sudden the conflict disappears because I realize that everything I have right now, my health, my life, my possessions, my family, everything that I have is not mine. Now, let's do a little quiz here just to find out the intelligence of this congregation. If you made... $400 last week, and you came to church on Sunday, how, how much of that $400 belongs to God? Oh, some of you didn't get the first lesson. Must be my deep preaching that makes you think. If you make $400, all $400 of it belongs to God. Hello? Hello? Well, now, wait a minute, preacher. Somebody says, let's see, 10% of, of 400 is 40. No, 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 no. 40 is not God's, and 360, yours, all 400 is God's. It all belongs to him. Until we understand this issue of lordship, we're always going to be in trouble. Now, the second reason, reason number two, the owner has expectations of the manager. When the master comes and the owner is there, he wants to know what has been done with the possessions that he's given us. And there are several areas of expectation. I want to give you a few biblical areas of expectation this morning. One area of expectation is ourselves. 
Romans chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1 says, Dear friends, God is good, so I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. All Paul is saying is this. The most sensible way to serve God is to settle immediately in your Christian walk that he is the owner, that you are the manager, and you yourself to him, slave of Jesus Christ. Strong language. But the second area is not only ourself, but our possessions. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. He, you see, he has, he has an exhortation for what I'm going to do with the things that he has given to me in my life. Listen to what Jesus said. None can be my disciples who, who do not give up all of their possessions. And so my possessions, myself, but my time, oh man. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Act like people with good sense and not like fools. These are evil times, so make every minute count. You think God cares about time? He does. Don't be stupid. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. Our time. But not only our time, our gifts. The owner has an expectation that we're going to do something with the gifts that have been given. That's why Peter says, each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift or gifts well. And then the gospel, the good news the story of redemption, the story of what we sang this morning of Christ dying on a cross and being placed dead into a tomb, but three days later rising from the dead. And he lives not in this room, but he lives in us who know him, sharing the gospel. Listen to what First Thessalonians said. God was pleased to trust us with his message. We didn't speak to, to please people, but to please God who knows our motives. When's the last time that you shared this glorious gospel with somebody? Several years ago, I had a church member that sent me something that I've never forgotten. It was, on a, it was, on a, it was a caricature on a piece of paper. It, it, had a, it had a picture of someone that their hair was just everywhere. Here's what, it's, here's what it said. God put me on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now, I'm so far behind that I will never die. <laughs> you felt that way before, haven't you? Well, there we have the accountability, the accountability. But now, look with me at the assessment of the foolish steward. In fact, when you look at verse 3, the moment this unwise manager realized, I'm losing my job. Look what he said. It's kind of unusual. He made an assessment of where he was. The manager said to himself, you ever talk to yourself? I do it all the time. About the, about the time I start answering myself, then, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rethink what I'm doing. But he said, what shall I do now that my manager, master is going to fire me? I can't dig ditches, and I'm ashamed to beg. Now, this fellow all of a sudden wakes up and realizes he's in trouble, and the owner comes home, doesn't like how he is handling his possessions, and fires him. 
What am I going to do now? People change more dramatically at various stages in their life. There are about three times, different times in your life. And one of those times is when they hurt enough that they have to change. When they hurt so bad that, that they have to change. In other words, this guy was in that position. He said, I've got to make a change. I've got to do something differently. I'm in trouble. I'm losing my job. What am I going to do? I can't beg. He made a quick assessment, and he found out that he wasn't doing what the master required. And so there you have the accountability of the foolish steward. You have the assessment of the foolish steward. But when you look in the Scripture, you now have the action. He gives it in plain language of the foolish steward. Verses 4 through 7, this unwise manager began to act on what he had just discovered. And look at it. I know what I'll do so that people will welcome me in their homes after I've lost my job. Then one by one, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. And we know that he asked them, how, how much do you owe? And the first one said this, uh, you know, 100 barrels of olive oil. So the manager said, take your bill quickly and write 50. Cross out that 100 and write 50. And then uh, the manager asked the next one, and, and his debt was how, how much? 1,000 bushels of wheat. And the manager said, take your bill and write down 800. I want you to notice that when the owner came home, he said, you're going to lose your job. But interestingly enough, he gave this man a little bit of time to do what he was asking him to do, to settle some of these accounts. And in the settling of the accounts, the one who owed 100 was re reduced down to 50. The one who owed 1,000 down to 800. Perhaps this man is knocking off the interest that was owed. Or, or quite honestly, maybe he was just saying, let's just go to the principal. Perhaps because he was a foolish steward, he overcharged them in the very at the get-go, in the very first place, and all of a sudden, the, man, the owner comes home, and he realized what had happened, so he cut, he cut it back down to the right price. There are four lessons that I want you to walk away from today with these lessons on your heart, because if you apply these lessons, something dramatic is going to happen in your own personal life. Number one, always use your opportunities wisely. Verses eight and nine, Jesus commended the man for his wise use of the opportunity. Now, let's look at this for just a moment. In verse eight, we see the master praised the dishonest manager, the, the, the owner. The master praised this dishonest manager. And stop for, why would he praise a dishonest manager? Because he had, he had done a bad job. Why would he praise him for that? It's very simple. He didn't praise him for the bad job he had done. Let me, let me go on with the story and explain. He praised, look at the scripture, the dishonest manager for looking out for himself so well. Hmm. No. You see, the people of this world look out for themselves better than the people who belong to the light. 
the people of God. So much of the time in the work that I do and in the ministry that I'm in, I will tell you that over and over and over again, because we, we are a 501c3 not-for-profit. We have standards. We have things we have to uphold. And in the not-for-profit world, there are, there are things that, that, quite honestly, really bother me oftentimes. I've sat down with ministries and various ministries who said, yeah, you can do this and get by with it. Nobody will ever know. No, ladies and gentlemen, we have to do things at such a higher standard than what the world does. But oftentimes, the world's standards are way, way above even the church's standards. How dare us? Listen to what? Listen to what? I mean, when, when I look at this, the children of God, my disciples, I tell you to use wicked wealth to make friends for yourselves then. When it is gone, you will be welcomed into an eternal home. Why was this foolish steward commended? It is very simple. He wasn't commended for being dishonest. He wasn't commended for wasting maybe months and even years of the master's money. He was commended for the fact that when he realized there was a problem, he immediately took action to fix it. Now, this is very important because some of you are here today saying, I'm sure God has given me gifts that I don't use for his glory. I'm sure that I'm not really using my time like I need to for the Lord. I'm positive that I've really never, ever settled the issue of who owns what concerning my possessions, my money, etc. And many of us today, perhaps you're struggling and saying, wow, maybe I'm a foolish steward. And maybe you are. I'm convinced that in the body of Christ, we have all the gifts and all the abilities that we need to reach and to win and to disciple and to minister to a lost community. But most of the time, most of us sit there and say, preacher, do it for me. Staff, you do it for me. And occasionally, we might even say, deacons, you do it for us too. Meanwhile, the gifts that are in us and the ability that we have, we hold within and we are foolish stewards. Here's the good news. God gives us a chance. Just as the owner gave this man a chance to settle the issues and to get the accounts and the books right, though I cannot go back and make a brand new start, ladies and gentlemen, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. You see, that's what we're going for. You say, but you don't know what I've done in the past. It's okay. God wants you to, to be forgiven of your past and to get past your past and start doing what he's called you to do. And then the Lord said to this man, you are to be commended because he began to use his opportunities wisely. How interesting. The people of the world are often more conscious than Christians. I want you to realize that we are to use our opportunities as wisely as we possibly can. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he talked about rust, and he talked about moths, where, where they come in and they destroy, where thieves come in and steal and destroy. I, I saw a paraphrase of that recently that I just loved. And the paraphrase was very simple. 
You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Now, what, what in the world does that mean, Pastor? Is there some kind of an account up there? No. When you give money to missions and, and somebody gets saved out there, you don't, you don't have any idea who they were. Uh, you, do, you don't even know they got saved. You don't know. Uh, you just gave your money and, and asked God to bless it. You see, when we get to heaven, there will be somebody from that country waiting for you. And when we all get to heaven, when we, when we, if, if we go to heaven, I wonder how would it be like if nobody were waiting on us? If no one were there, let me ask you this question. How many people are going to be waiting for you to walk through? Those that you don't even know. And the person is going to say, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you and let you know that your gift, your talent, your ability influenced me to become a Christian. I, I got a wonderful letter this week. I got a letter from a member of this church. It was it was a, a, a rather lengthy letter, but it was a wonderful letter. It was a blessing. As I sat there and read the letter, I, I, tears filled my eyes. As I, as I thought, Lord, I, I don't think I'm all that. But this, this dear saint was saying, I want to thank you for being our transitional pastor you're a blessing to me, and you're a blessing to this congregation. And I don't think for a moment that they thought they were speaking for the whole congregation. But I got to tell you, when I got done reading that letter, I sat there and I said, Lord, thank you. Maybe, just maybe, you'll use me in that position, in that place, in that service. I believe you already have. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it is interesting for me when I look at this passage of Scripture to ask the question, am I using the opportunities that I have right now wisely? The second question, or the second thing that I've learned here, is that trust must be earned. The big question, why would the master give me more if I misuse what I have? The, the second lesson that the Lord teaches us is this. He teaches us that trust can never be granted without us earning it. Now look at verses 10 through 12. Anyone who can be trusted in little matters can also be trusted in important matters. But anyone who is dishonest in little matters will be dishonest in important matters. If you cannot be trusted with wicked wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? And if you cannot be trusted with what belongs to someone else, who will give you something that will be your own? He talks here about the fact that we need to earn our trust. Now, if you can't be faithful in a few things, God is going to say, why am I going to give you more things? It goes back to my opening illustration about raising teenagers, and especially in particular one boy, David, the youngest and I mean he is the youngest. When David, when we knew we were expecting David, we had a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old. And here comes David. Someone asked me one time, was he planned? Yeah, God planned him. We, we don't ever, you know, we, but, but, but honestly, honestly, I, I thought when... When my late wife called me, when she called me, I was at the office in, in Jefferson City and, and at the church office, and I said, you know, she said, we're expecting. I said, expecting what? 
And she said, we're expecting a baby. And I said, take the test over again and call me. I'm going to lay down on the couch. And she called me back. She said, it's still blue, sweetheart. And I said, oh, dear God in heaven, what in the world do you think you're doing? Wow. Over and over. And so I would tell you that David is our youngest son. Now, I remember when David got his driver's license. Oh, I prayed for the whole population of Sarasota County. I remember the day I took him to get his license. I said, dear God, if he passes this test, it will be a miracle. It was a miracle. He did. And man, then he, he started saying, Dad, I, I, I want to I I be out with my friends. And I'm going, I don't want you out with your friends. I don't trust your friends. But I let him in. And I said, now look, if you're not home by this time, you know, when he was 16, I think it was about 10 o'clock on a Friday night. And, and, it, and man, he, he would be home at 10 minutes till 10. I thought, there's something wrong with this kid. All the other three boys, they would test it. And then one night, I don't know what happened to him. He must have inherited something from those other three boys, but his two stepbrothers and himself, but... And his, his brother, Robbie, he came home about 11 o'clock. And he thought, oh, Pop, he's old. He'll be in bed. He'll never know that I slipped in here. But, oh, Pop, wasn't that old? And I was sitting in the recliner. As he walked through, I'd had the TV off. I had all the lights off. I wanted to scare the you-know-what out of him. And he took his shoes off. We got tile floors. Took his shoes off. The dog barks. He walked right by my chair, and I said, Hey, David. Oh! Dad, what are you doing sitting in the dark waiting on you? What for, Dad? I said, You're an hour late. Well, Dad, and I said, No, I don't care what you, I, I do care what you were doing, but, but the fact is you're an hour late. Well, Dad, and he gave me all the excuses. His parents know what I'm talking about. He gave, gave them all to me. I said, well, that's going to cost you two hours next week, so you'll be in at 8 o'clock on Friday night next week. Dad, this is not fair. I said, oh, it's more than fair. If you keep talking, it's going to be 6 o'clock. You won't even get out of the driveway. Because <laughs> you've forgotten who's in charge here. I am. Now, I know some of you are looking at me real gruff like, oh, mean, mean, Alan Spear. I was trying to help him develop, and I was trying to help him understand that he has to give me some trust. I have to maintain trust. If I can't trust you in one thing, I can't trust you in anything. Trust has to be earned. It's never granted. No parent should just say, here, I totally trust you. Go out, and if you don't come back on time and you disobey me, I'm sure there's a reason, sweet cakes. No, trust has to be earned. Some of you students in here right now are wishing I'd just shut up and move on to the next point right now because you're, I'm giving your parents all kinds of ideas, but there's a principle here. See, remember the story that Jesus told when he, he gave one man five talents and one two talents and one one talent, and he went away and he came back, and the guy who had five talents had taken it 
from five to 10. You remember this story? And the guy who had two had taken it from two to four, but the guy who had one buried it. He was afraid. I've, I've taught from that story so many times because I think it's a great principle on stewardship. But I was, I was finalizing this message, and I was thinking about this. Why did the master give the one guy just one talent? Was it because he didn't like him? Of course not. I, I believe it was because he knew before he ever left that the man was untrustworthy. And I believe that he had already had previous bad experiences with him. Remember when he came back, the guy who had one talent, he said, here, I... I I dug a hole. Here's what is yours. You can have it. I know you're a hard man. How did you know? How did the master? How did you know the master was a hard man? Because he had had some bad dealings with him in the past. I can promise you, the master only gave him one talent because he knew he couldn't. He, 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 that's all he could trust him with, and he had he had to take it from him. Now, here's the simple question this morning. How much can God trust you with? We could ask that question individually. We could ask that question corporately. How many abilities and, and talents and opportunities can he give me because I'm trustworthy? Or how many has he not given me and withheld from me because I'm not trustworthy? Can God trust me with money? Can, can, could you look financially because could, could, you, could you ever lack financially because you're not trustworthy? Does God have opportunities to give you and withhold because you're not using the opportunity that you have right now? That's why when people say to me, you know, one of these days, I'm going to win the lottery, Pastor. And I don't, I don't, I don't condone that. I don't, I don't ab abdicate that you play, even play the lottery. But I've had so many people say, one of these days, I'm going to win the lottery, and I'm going to give it all to the church. That's baloney. Because you know what? More than likely, that person isn't even tithing yet. So you can't be faithful in what God has given you. Y'all are looking at me real spiritual right now. If you can't be faithful in what God has given you, what are you doing with what you've got? Am I trustworthy with what I have right now? Well... Remember the fellow who had that one talent? He said, I was afraid I dug a hole, hid my talents. It was fear that kept him from trusting God. And it will be, for some of you, fear that keep you from trusting God. It was fear that became the wall between the owner and the steward. I, I, I brought a parable with me today, and I want to read it. It is a parable of three little turtles. I hope you can intellectually handle this parable. I know you come to this church to hear good preaching and 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 i'm so deep that i just strive to stay you know on that realm so stay with me intellectually this morning okay hang with me three turtles were carried out one summer afternoon for a country picnic one carried a basket with the food and the second a jug with turtle aid Gatorade, turtleite. Okay. And the third, nothing. And just when they felt the first splat of raindrops on their shells, we can't have a picnic without an umbrella, one said. Who will go back for one? And they made the choice, and the empty-handed turtle was chosen to go back and get the umbrella. He said, I won't go. 
As soon as I leave, the other two of you will eat all of the food and drink all of the turtle aid and cut me out of everything, right? Wrong, they said. We'll wait for you no matter how long. No, we'll, we'll wait for you. You don't have to worry about it. And so he turned back, and they sat waiting an hour, two hours, a day, two days, a week, Two weeks went by when one turtle turned to the other finally and said, maybe we should just go ahead and have the picnic. And just then a voice from the third turtle came out from the bushes behind them and said, if you do, I won't go. <laughs> I love that. I wonder how many times God has entrusted something to us and instead of going we waited behind the bushes and said, I won't do it. I won't do it. God has given us something. Well, thirdly, trust can be measured. Look at verses 10 through 12. Our Lord says, I want to tell you how to measure trust. Follow this very carefully. I measure trust by this very simple method. If you're trustworthy in a few things, I give you more. That's how he measures trust. I love the story of the pastor who was preaching in a farming community. He was trying to teach this issue, and he went up to one of his farmer laymen, and he said, if, if you had 100 cows and God asked you for 50, would you give them to him? He said, oh, yes, I sure would, preacher. He said, if you had 100 horses and God asked you for 50, would you give them to him? And he said, I sure would, pastor. He said, if you had two hogs and God asked you for one of them, would you give it to him? He said, now that's not fair, Pastor. You know I've got two hogs. <laughs> I think some of us maybe this morning are trying to snow God. Have you ever tried to do that? You ever tried to fool God? Don't feel bad. I, I, I've tried it. But he says, if we're not faithful here, here's his measurement. You're going to have trouble down the road because I'm not going to give anything else to, to manage. Now, let's finish this this morning. In your notes, there's some personal inventory. There's some areas of accountability. And I want you just to, real quickly with me, think about these areas. Myself, that's you. Have I given my life to God? And if so, how much? Just Sundays? Most of the time? When it's convenient or completely? How about your possessions? Does, does God have ownership of, of things in my life? No, he has ownership of the leftovers or, 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 or about half or all but money or the majority. Does God have ownership of everything in my life? Gifts, do I now and do I know my top three spiritual gifts? Do I know those? I can tell you that, that my number one spiritual gift is leadership. I can tell you that. I know that. I, I've taken all the tests, and I've done, but I can tell you that, that, that God expects us to use what he has given us so that he gets the glory for it. Am I using them for God's glory? I used to. I'm going to. Yes, I am. And, and the good news, do I let my light shine for God? No, my battery's dead. I keep it on dim, or it's bright all the way. There's one more thing to this story, and we're done. I'll wrap it up. 
The last thing is this. Be wholly devoted to God. Look at verse 13. You cannot be a slave of two masters. You will, you will like one more than the other, and you'll be more loyal to one more than the other. You cannot serve God, and you cannot serve mammon and money. Who are you a slave to? I said that all of us in this room, if we're honest, we like stuff. We, we enjoy stuff. And, and, I, and, I, and I will tell you that, that I, I guess that's, that's been on my life. I like, I like nice things. Somebody, somebody asked me today, they said, do you have a different pair of shoes for every outfit you wear? I said, you know what? I probably got too many pairs of shoes. And, and somebody had mentioned that to me a few weeks ago. And so I, I went in my closet. My wife has a rule. If you haven't worn it in six months, you give it away. So I started cleaning out my closet. I gave several pairs of shoes away. Now, I probably went shopping and bought a few more pairs. But <laughs> I wonder... If God said, since I'm the owner, Alan, and it all belongs to me, what if he asked me to give it all up? Yeah, the house, the nice truck, the comfort of being able to be in this wonderful room with you folks. And I pray what I would do is this. I pray that I would kneel before him and I would get down before him and say, Lord, it's all yours anyway. It doesn't belong to me. And so, God, I give it back to you. Whatever it is, whatever it is, I give it to you. It's not mine anyhow. You see, ladies and gentlemen, We can trust God. We can trust God. Amen? Amen? But can God trust me? Can God trust Doug? Can God trust John or Joe? Can God trust Frank? Can God trust you? And here's what I want to say to you, First Baptist Church. When we answer this question and we understand that we, God has given, we, we won't ever have to talk about raising a budget ever again. There'll be a surplus that we'll have to meet together to figure out where we're going to send this money for missions. How we're going to help build another church somewhere where they can't afford to. See, somebody said to me, but pastor, we're struggling to, to make our budget. No, we're not. We're struggling to get it right in our hearts. This is a spiritual issue. This isn't a money issue. There's enough money right in this section right here. And in this section right here. To do more than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. Can God trust you? Let's pray. Father.